you'd like to follow along in your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. So you can be turning there. So good to be here with you today. Um, I really do appreciate, as, as Keith mentioned, uh, the support that I get here uh, and the work that you guys allow me to do. I'm very excited to be a part of this group and uh, to, to know that you love and care about me and my wife and, and also that you love others who are spreading the word. I remember being in West Palm and relying on that check that came uh, every month from different congregations and, and it was always encouraging to know that there are people who are looking for opportunities to spread the gospel in different places. So I'm very grateful that we're able to, to do that. Uh, in this congregation, it's because of you and your your willingness to, to share what God has given you uh, that, that we're able to do that. What have you made your life about? Uh, and does that really matter? There's a lot of things that people focus on in life and spend their time thinking about, spend their money on, spend their efforts on throughout uh, their work weeks and, and throughout their weekends. But what have you made your life about? It's easy for us to um, focus on material possessions uh, in our society. And, and, and with all that we have at our disposal, it's easy for us to focus our lives around those material possessions. Uh, I think that's one thing that, that Satan is constantly trying to bombard us with and, and to pull us away from God through those material possessions. Uh, but even... Life could be about relationships and, and focusing on the families that we have and the relationships that we have with one another and make that what life is really all about. But all of that really is not as important as what we have in Scripture, what we have with God. In the Scripture reading, uh, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, it says, For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You think about what your life is all about and what's your purpose and why are you here and what are you, what are you really dwelling on and thinking about in life. And you open up your, your Bible to a book like this and, and to a passage like this where it says the grace of God has been revealed, uh, bringing us salvation so that we could be trained to put away all unrighteousness and ungodliness and that we would become a people who are zealous for good works. And we see that if our life is about anything other than serving the Lord and being zealous for good works, if that's not the focus of our lives, then we're not really lining ourselves up with what God has called us to be. But if you're like me, that's not easy. Uh, there's this constant draw to self-serving, uh, to materialism, to uh, you know, finding comfort and satisfaction in the things of this life. Uh, but God is trying to give us opportunities to glorify Him. 
He's trying to give us opportunities to do good works that bring him honor and glory. He's given us opportunities to overcome the sins and the struggles that we have in life. And we have to be willing to take advantage of all of those opportunities. So that's what I want us to think about a little bit today is how we could start focusing our lives around the opportunities that God gives us to do good works for him, uh, to make doing good works an essential part of our life, something that we're zealous for, that we have zeal about, a desire to, uh, to, to reach and to become a, a worker for the Lord, doing all the things that God has for us. Uh, it may be that uh, you're scrolling through Facebook, as we all do, most of us on occasion, uh, and you see somebody who makes a comment that has some kind of spiritual nature, and you would typically look at that and you would say, yeah, I'm not going to say anything. And you just keep going. Or you would say, oh, they're not going to listen to anything I have to say. No big deal. Well, maybe we should see that instead as an opportunity. Maybe that you're at a grocery store and you, you're around somebody who decides to start up conversation. And it's great. You're having a great conversation. And, and you see that here's an opportunity to maybe invite them to, to come worship God or study the Bible with me. And you think, oh, they're not going to do that. That's not, that's not something that they would ever be interested in. And yet there's this strong pull to, to, to keep from making it uncomfortable by talking about anything religious in those situations, in those scenarios. Uh, but that is a good work. Those are good works. Those are opportunities that God gives us that we ought to be taking advantage of and doing the things that God desires for us to do for his glory. And so that's what we're going to be thinking about, how we can make our purpose to do the good works that God puts in front of us every single day. Uh, because I need that as much as you do. And the text that we're, we're reading and studying together is, is pulling us toward that kind of heart and that kind of attitude where we see opportunities we're going to take in. Uh, if you've been with us throughout the study of Acts, we've studied through a lot of the, the things that have gone on in Acts and seen the, the church develop, the kingdom of God being established throughout Jerusalem and uh, throughout Judea and Samaria. And now it's been spreading throughout the end of the earth. And, and Paul has been instrumental in that, going from church to church, even among the Gentiles, uh, going from place to place and preaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus. But now he's been imprisoned. And we come to chapter 25. We learn about him being unjustly imprisoned uh, as he is... Uh, taken captive because the Jews have accused him of something that he did not do. They've accused him of uh, bringing a Gentile into the temple and causing all kinds of rioting and all kinds of evil things. And so the Roman authorities uh, allow him to experience some level of beating and, and they imprison him and they bring him before them and in trials, but they don't see that it's all made up, even though he has said that there's no proof. And they allow him to sit in prison for two years whenever we come into chapter 26. Uh, Felix was the governor in, in Caesarea. He was governor of the region. And he has uh, listened to the complaints against Paul and listened to Paul's testimony. And he has failed to uh, give him uh, innocence, to allow him to go free. He has instead uh, decided to just keep him in prison for two years. Can you imagine two years of your life just being spent in prison, having nothing that you've really been accused of? 
And yet, Paul has sat there. Well, Felix has been a bad governor. Uh, he has mismanaged his authority, and it has led to rioting in Jerusalem, and he's decided to use violence against those in Jerusalem, and that has led to his uh, expulsion, him, him no longer being allowed to be governor. And there's a new governor that comes in whose name is Festus. Uh, so here we might think is an opportunity for Paul. He spent two years in prison. Now he's finally going to have this opportunity to have justice and for everything to be made right. But whenever we come to chapter 25 in the latter part, we learn that Festus is just as corruptible as Felix was. He decides, because the Jews don't like Rome very much, to do the Jews a favor and to allow Paul to stay in prison, even though he has still done nothing wrong. And in fact, Festus decides, I'm going to send him back to Jerusalem. Whenever Paul was sent from Jerusalem up to Caesarea, the Jews had planned to kill him on the way, so there is no doubt that this would result in his death. But he decides, I'm going to send you down to Jerusalem and let you be handled by them. He just wants to wash his hands of him. And Paul instead appeals to Caesar, and he's going to Rome. There's no justice for him there uh, with Festus. Well, a few days later, we learn that the king of the region, a king by the name of Agrippa, decides to stop by. Uh, and as we uh, open up and learn about this king coming, oh, well, maybe there's justice there. Maybe this will be a, a wonderful opportunity for Paul. Uh, Felix, uh, Festus has this issue. Uh, he's got to now send Paul to Rome, to Caesar, and he doesn't have anything against him to say, here are his charges. There's no real charge against Paul. He's just kept him because he's corrupt, and he desires to make the Jews happy. So he says to Agrippa, what do I need to say to Caesar in this case? And Agrippa says, well, you, you bring Paul before me, and I'll listen to what he has to say. Here's an opportunity. Paul gets to speak before the king of the region. That sounds like a great opportunity. That's what Jesus had told Paul he was going to do. He was going to speak to kings. And now here he is before Agrippa. Will Agrippa hear what Paul has to say? Understand this. Agrippa is the son of the man who had James beheaded. Who tried to kill Peter. Agrippa is the grandson of the man who killed Jesus. He's the great-grandson of the man who had children murdered to try to kill Jesus, okay? Agrippa is not a really good guy. In fact, he's known to be pretty immoral. Uh, if you read through, you'll see that he's joined by his sister, Bernice. And there's a lot of historical talk about Agrippa and Bernice having an incestuous relationship. So this is not a very moral or good guy that is coming in to Caesarea that, that Paul gets the opportunity to speak to. And as, as we think about all that Paul has suffered and, and who he's being brought before and what he might say, we might think, well, I would just you know let him have it. This is not going to go anywhere. anywhere. This is ridiculous. Uh, I've been unjustly held here. I could have been doing so much more work for the Lord if you'd not brought me in prison and kept me here. Uh, but notice Paul doesn't speak that way at all. He actually sees this as an opportunity. Look at verse 1. It says, Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. 
I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Notice how Paul opens up with complimentary words. I I think this is a a wonderful opportunity. I, I consider myself fortunate to be able to speak to you. You actually have some understanding of the Jewish traditions and the Jewish belief system and the Jewish controversies that have come up in the past. And so now Paul is going to make a very bold uh, testimony to Agrippa because he understands more than a Festus or a Felix. And he starts out here by just describing to Agrippa his journey uh, and, and in a very summarized, very condensed way. Look at verses four through eight. It says, uh, my manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. So he starts from the beginning, from his baby, his childhood. Uh, From the beginning, I I was uh, among my own nation and in Jerusalem. And all the Jews know this. They've known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O king. What is thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? That's how he goes from the beginning to the reason why I'm here. kind of gives the bottom line up front. I am a Jew who was raised in the strictest sect of our religion. I am a Pharisee who has taught and understood all the traditions and all the teachings that the Jews receive who were in Jerusalem. And I understood all these things so well that whenever I was approached and understood the the truth, that it all just made sense. It all just came together. and, And I understand that there is hope for the resurrection according to that sect and that that hope has been brought to life for us. That's what he starts off with. And he asked this question, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Of course God could raise the dead. Earlier he said, the reason why I'm here is because I believe that God has risen the dead. This is all about resurrection. That's the whole reason. Uh, And you're arguing against me because you're arguing against the fact that, that I believe that God has raised someone from the dead. The very thing you believe will happen, I believe has happened. And now you're arguing and fighting with me over this. It makes no sense. And he makes that very clear. That the God who created the universe can raise from the dead should not be something that's amazing or incredible to anybody who believes that God is the creator of the universe. Of course he can do that. And then after that, he, he goes into his conversion. He goes back again, and this time he says, starting in verse 9, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, 
I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And we, when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet. Notice here, he's discussing his conversion. He's discussing how at the beginning he was convinced that there's no way that Jesus rose from the dead. And he was so convinced that he, he went up against everybody who said that it was true. And he punished them and he beat them and he tried to make them blaspheme so that they would be uh, able to be put to death as well. That was his goal. That was his mission in life. Much like the Jews had that mission against him. So he relates to those who were against him because he himself was one of them. But then he tells them what happened. He was on his way to D Damascus, and a bright light appeared around him. And Jesus said, why are you persecuting not my people, but why are you persecuting me? And Paul understands that Jesus is, in fact, raised from the dead. And then Jesus, he, he continues, gives him a commission. Verse 16, but rise and stand upon your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me, and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you. Listen to this. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Notice Paul has been given this commission that he has been sent to the Gentiles that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That Paul has this desire, this, this mission in him that he is to go and to turn people from darkness to light. It's a beautiful image. We talked about it last week as well. That, that we are called to be lights into the darkness. But he, he explains what that means. You're going from the power of Satan who has deceived you and blinded you to the truth to God and to the acceptance of the truths that God has desired to share with all of us. And so Paul explains all of this to the king, and he goes forward, he says, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to, the, to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout the, all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance." For this reason, the Jews seized me and in the temple uh, and tried to kill me. To this day, I've had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that be, by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim both light to our people and to the Gentiles. So he just explains his whole work. And the reason why he is here today is because he's fulfilling his work. Jesus came and told him what to do, and he said, Okay, a bright light shines around you, and you hear a heavenly voice. 
that is unmistakably uh, heavenly, and you submit to it. And that's what Paul did. And so he has gone everywhere preaching and teaching the truth about who God is and what God has done through Jesus. Well, as you continue this story, you notice how it's going to be taken. First of all, Festus says, you are out of your mind. Great learning is driving you out of your mind. Festus says, you're crazy. He makes light of the serious testimony that Paul has just given, that that Jesus has shown himself to me and that I am now uh, trying to submit to him. He says, you're out of your mind. You're crazy. But Paul doesn't stop. He doesn't sheepishly, shamefully get quiet. He speaks up in response. He says, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, speaking to the governor. But I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Listen to this. I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Notice Paul, Paul receives this resistance from those who are hearing the truth of the testimony. Uh, that Festus would say, you're out of your mind. And he doesn't cower. He doesn't hide. Instead, he speaks boldly. And it, his desire is for them to understand this truth and believe in it. He wants them to be saved. Verse 29, he says, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. You see how Paul is speaking to the king and to the governor. He's not holding back words. These are immoral, ungodly men who are unjust, who are corrupted by their their deceitful desires, and they're guilty of all kinds of evil, and yet Paul wants them to be saved. He wishes all would come to the state of saved like he has. Well, how does that reflect on us? Do we understand that Uh, we also are in that similar situation where we're surrounded by people who are in the dark. On Facebook, people talking. Do we recognize who they are, where they are, that they're in the dark? Uh, In the grocery store, do we recognize the people around us are in the dark? Uh, the, The evil and moral people we know of at work, do we recognize, do we understand, they're in the dark. They don't see the light. They don't understand the truth. Of the gospel. Paul understood that. They're in the dark. They don't understand. They can't see it. Uh, And Paul had this incredible patience with them and a desire to convert them, where we might say they're too evil. There's no way they would ever listen to anything that, that we have to say. Or we might say they'll never change. And Paul just spoke anyway. Why do you think he did that? Well, it's in his testimony. That was him. He was in the darkness. He was completely rebellious and defiant and corrupted and evil. 
He had decided to kill all those who were preaching the truth. He was on the side of Satan, under the power of Satan. But yet, he was transformed. Paul thought, if I can be transformed by the truth, anybody can. We also must believe that. We must believe that sharing our testimony about the the things that God has done in our lives that has brought us to the truth can have an impact on other people. And and uh, by, by sharing the truth of the gospel that we have received, that Jesus is alive and that he is risen from the dead and that he is able to save all those who come to him, we must be willing to share that with other people. Regardless of their station in life and their, uh, regardless of their situation and, and their corruption and the darkness that they've shown that they are in, we have to believe that sharing the truth with them can transform them. Even on someone as great as Agrippa, Paul's willing to speak. You know where Paul's going? He's going to Rome. You know who he's going to talk to? Nero. And he's going to say the same kinds of things, thinking... It's possible. It's possible for the emperor to be conformed to the image of God and be transformed as I have. And that's his desire and that's his goal in life. That's that's what he desires, whether it takes a short amount of time to convince or a long amount of time. He spent two years talking to uh, Felix, got nowhere. (laughs) He knows he's only got a little bit of time with Agrippa. He's spending it in a very condensed way, trying to share everything right now so that Agrippa can understand the truth. And that's what we must do. We have to follow that example. If you're here today, I want you to have that understanding that you don't know how, I don't know how long I've got with you. I don't know if you'll leave this place and never come back here again. Uh, And we we do have a few visitors here. You may never come back here again. I want you to understand something very important. If you're not in the light, if you're still looking and and seeing the light, but you're sitting in darkness, you have to come out of it. You have to come out of the dark. You have to be willing to accept the truth about what Jesus has done for you, the truth about the hope that God has for you, and the truth about his desire for you to be repentant and to change your life. Paul calls your current situation under the power of Satan. You're letting yourself be deceived by the things of this world. And as a result, you're going to receive the consequences of all those who are in the dark. But We read the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all. If you're in the dark, you can receive the salvation that God wants to give you. You can be forgiven of all of your sins and you can be in the light and working toward uh, creating more light in the world around us. You can glorify God. You can bring others to know him. You can be a person who is zealous for good works. But don't shut off the light. You know, whenever I was younger, um, going to college, um, I'd start studying at about six, seven o'clock or so, and still a little sunlight out, and I'd use the daylight coming in from the windows, and I'd just sit there, and I'd be, I'd be reading my text and everything, and it'd just get darker and darker and darker. <laughs> and I wouldn't even know that I was in the dark, and then my mom would come upstairs to tell me supper's ready or something like that, and she'd turn on the light, 
I was like, whoa, what's going on here? And she said, what are you doing? And she'd always tell me, you're going to ruin your eyes. You know? um, but there's that, that idea that the dark just comes upon us slowly sometimes. And then somebody turns on the light. And we could say, turn it off. I don't want to see it. But the light helps us to see more clearly what is true. And if you see the light, don't let it dim. Let it remain and let it be a part of who you are. Because that's, that's what we're called to be. Uh, and others need to see the light as well. Turn that light on for them. And if they yell at you and say, what are you doing? Show them anyway. And try to help them understand that they're in the dark. That's why we're here. And I hope that you'll, you'll do that. I hope we'll all play a role in that. And continue to persist in the good works that God has called us to. I hope that instead of focusing our lives on these meaningless things that we have going on all the time. I hope that we'll focus our lives on something that really matters. That has eternal significance. And if you're not doing that, I want to encourage you to do that. If you've not started to live your life for God, we want to help you in any way that we can. If you'll let us, please come as we stand and as we sing.